uh, beginning to look at the life of Christ uh, through the eyes of uh, who is considered to be St. Matthew, one of the apostles. Uh, tonight we're going to look at uh, the beginning of the birth of Jesus. Uh, but before we do, we have to understand, and I know all of you Bible readers, you know that the birth of Jesus was foretold, uh, that it wasn't something that was sneaking up on everybody. Uh, and so if you would, we're going to look and we're going to begin in verse number 18 of Matthew chapter number 1, verse number 18. He says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Uh, you remember in the Star Wars movies? They all began the same way. You saw the stars and it said in a galaxy far, far away. And then all the Disney fairy tales, they begin with the same line, right? Once upon a time. And that introduces you to what's coming. And Matthew says the birth of Jesus was on this wise. Here's the account. Here is the record. Here is what happened. Now Matthew is telling this story from his point of view. But to, before we dive into the birth of Christ, I want to look back uh, Genesis chapter number 12 at the events before Christ's birth. Uh, specifically, those times in the Bible that, that Christ was told uh, that, that it was foretold that Christ was coming. Uh, if you've never seen it, Google a picture of uh, the chain references in the Bible. Uh, it says Genesis through Revelation stretched out horizontally on, on a page like this. Genesis over here, Revelation's over here. And then it, it gives you a chain reference going back and forth to every scripture. Uh, not, not chain reference, prophecy reference. Uh, to every scripture that, that references another part of the Bible or another happening in the Bible. And it is truly spectacular to see a book that ties everything in together. The big thing in movies now is it's called Easter eggs. You find things as you watch it the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth time that you didn't see the first time or you didn't see the second time. The Bible has Easter eggs all over it. It never gets old. There's always new things that we don't see. There's always connections that we don't quite make. Brother Eddie Hartfield was preaching a revival at Aces Creek several years ago, and he began to preach on uh, the, the demoniac of Gadara, who was, uh, who was uh, the, the devils were cast out of him by Christ. And whenever he began to preach, he said, now I want to tell you why these people were here. I'm sitting here thinking, I've, I've always heard of the, the demoniac, I've always heard of the man, but I've never heard of the people. And he said, the reason that, that, that God drove these devils, that Jesus drove the devils into the swine, was because these people were one of the 12 tribes of Israel. They weren't supposed to have pigs. It was unclean. And that, that made a lot of sense to me. They were the lost tribe of Gad. And I'd never made that connection before. I'd never put it together. He's the demoniac of Gadara. Jesus was standing there, sailed over to the Gadarenes. But I, I'd never made that connection before. And the Bible connects everything together. And then one reason that, that you can tell that it is not, cannot be man-made, is man cannot do that. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. I've read some really, really, really good books in my time. I used to read a lot as a kid. Now I, I wait for the movie to come out. But I used to read a lot and I've read really good books, but none of them even come close to accounting for what the Bible has done and what God has done through His Word. Uh, so let's, let's look at that beginning in Genesis chapter number 12, verse number 1. Genesis 12, verse number 1. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and of the, from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now, I believe he's speaking here to Abraham. He said, unto Abraham, or unto Abram. 
get thee out. <clears throat> he said, thou shalt be a blessing. So in his life, God said, Abraham, you will be a blessing to those around you. But also, I will bless them that bless you. I will curse you them, uh, him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now we know that Abraham was not like Noah. Noah was, you know, kin to all of us. Abraham, not so much. There were other people around. There were people older than him, people younger than him. So whenever we look at this scripture that says, I lost it. In thee all families of the earth be blessed. He's talking about the Savior coming from Abraham. The only way, the only way possible for all the families of the earth, for every person on planet earth at that time and every person since, to be blessed by this man. Chances are Abraham didn't meet everybody on the earth at that time. Uh, Last week whenever we were at the ark, they support the theory that there was one big continent before the flood. Uh, There's a lot of different ways to look at that. Uh, History books call it Pangea. Uh, the people at the Ark and the Creation Museum called it something a little different, but it was the same concept that all of the continents were together before the flood and then after the flood, God separated them. And uh, still, if they were together or if they were apart, Abraham could not have met everybody. He could not have possibly, in and of himself, been a blessing to everybody. So whenever we look at this verse and it says, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed, he's talking about Jesus coming from Abraham and from Jesus all the families of the earth have been blessed, both before and after Christ, correct? So the first reference, oh, there's, there's actually another one a little earlier, but we skipped over it. But the, the first place that we find the, the blessing of Christ coming from is right here in Genesis chapter number 11. And he's foretold as a blessing. Now flip over, if you would, to Isaiah chapter number 40. And hold your spot in Isaiah. There are several of them right here, as most of you know. Isaiah foretells a lot of uh, of Jesus' events, his birth, his life, his death. Isaiah chapter number 40, verse number 3, The voice of him that cried in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Enter a valley that shall uh, be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough places plain. He is foretelling the miracles of the life of Christ. He is foretelling John the Baptist coming, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. The glory of the Lord, verse number five, shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. He is foretelling of John the Baptist coming. He is foretelling of Jesus and the life that he will live. The low of the the crooked shall be made straight. The rough places made plain. Every mountain, every hill, every problem be made a little bit smaller, be made a little bit different. Talking about the miracles that God was going to perform. Now, Isaiah chapter number 53. Isaiah chapter number 53, verse number 5. It says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Talking about the death. Talking about the the torture of Jesus Christ. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought forth as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison in judgment. Who shall declare his generation? 
For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He was judged on that cross. He was turned away. He was lifted up above this earth, and yet God turned his back on him. He was separated from both heaven, from his father. He was separated from this earth. He was left completely and totally alone for those three dark hours where he suffered the eternal separation that you and I deserve. The eternal separation that we had earned. And Jesus made that his own. Verse number eight, no, excuse me, nine. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus lived a perfect life. Back to Isaiah chapter number seven. Jesus lived the only perfect life. Had any other person ever been able to live a perfect life, Jesus would not have had to come. There's a, uh, there's a song, and it's a pretty song. I'm not here to, to fuss and argue about songs. There's a song. It's called, uh, Oh, What a Savior. It's a beautiful song. So Such a high song. I, I don't do real well with it. But it's a really high song when you get to, Oh, What a Savior. The hallelujah, I just can't get it. But it, the one verse of that song, that says, They searched through heaven. I believe that whenever the foundations of the world was poured, that Jesus knew that he was going to have to come down here and do that. I believe that in the, the foreknowledge of God that he knew that man was going to sin, even though he gave him the option. Uh, and and we, we're not going to get into the, the what God can see and what God knows and, and predestination and, and whatnot of that. Uh, tonight, I believe that we all know that, that that is not exactly the way that God works. We do have free will. We do have a choice, just like Adam and Eve did. But God knew that that was going to happen. And whenever he shed the first blood to clothe Adam and Eve, there became a sacrifice for sin, a sacrifice for uncleanness. There became a, a substitution for the sin that these people had done. And, and that substitution became Jesus. And so before Jesus' birth, the people sacrificed. And through their faith in the coming Christ, they were saved. And then after Jesus' death, uh, through our faith in the already come and resurrected Christ, are we saved? Isaiah chapter number 7, verse number 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Verse number 16. For the child shall know to refuse evil, and to choose the good in the land. Thou absorbest shall be forsaken of both her kings. The child shall know to choose good. How many kids y'all know always does the right thing? I was a really good kid growing up. I mean, I was a good kid. I, I always did some of the right things. I, I, I tried to, to stay out of trouble. That, that was my desire. I tried not to get in trouble. But as kids, we were very, very, very mischievous. We still picked up aprons and we slung them at our brothers. We still pushed people in the pond and in the pool. And, and we still... We still did wrong. And all of you are the same way. I'm not alone. You're all the same way. And chances are we still do would do wrong. Right? We do. But Jesus from birth knew to do good and not evil. Not only did he know it, there's a very big difference in knowing and doing. Not only did he know it, but he, he refused the evil and chose the good. Chose is a verb. So not only did he know it, but he chose to do good. That is leading back, or looking forward rather, to the perfect life that Christ was going to live. The book of Micah, chapter number 5. Anybody want to sing the books of the Bible so we can find Micah? I used to say it was 
numbers Deuteronomy and Joshua, Judges 3, first of Samuel, so they came, and it's a nearby sharing of Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalm, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, after Jonah, right? It's on page 1339. <laughs> Brother Randy said page 1339. Page 983 in my Bible. Book of Micah, chapter number 5. Verse number 2. The birth of Christ foretold. But thou... Bethlehem, Ephrath, thou shalt be little among the thousands of Judea. Yet out of thee he shall come forth unto me. That is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been told from old to everlasting. Jesus came from Bethlehem. Micah is foretelling that out of thee he shall come forth unto me. He shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord. Verse number four. And in the majesty of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for he shall know, uh, for he for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. Hosea chapter number eleven. Just a few books before this one. Hosea chapter number eleven. It says, when Israel was a child, when Israel was young, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. He then called his son out of Israel. Flip back over, if you would, to Matthew, and then we're going to go to Psalms just for a minute. We read the first time, but I want to read it again. The first thing that Matthew says, the first point that he makes about Christ, the first thing that he tells you is that Jesus Christ came from Israel. He is the heir to David's throne. He is the king of the Jews and he is also the son of Abraham because the two most prestigious things that you could do. So 50 years ago, 100 years ago, what was a big name in America? Anybody know? Maybe 150 years ago. It was the Rockefellers. The Rockefellers was a big name. And if you were kin to the Rockefellers, you were there. The Carnegies, same people. Now it's the Thomases. If you're kin to them, you are, you are there. It was prestigious. Well, dropping names is, is not something that's new. Matthew did it. And he said it's the, the first thing that he did was son of David, son of Abraham. Heir to the throne, one of Abraham's kids. And that is what Hosea is saying. He said, I've called Israel out of Egypt. I've called my son out of Israel. Psalm chapter number 22. In my Bible, this is labeled as a prayer. But I've read this psalm several times, and as I read it, I, 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 see, I see Jesus in it. Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is the exact words that Jesus Christ used on the throne, uh, on the cross. The exact words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roar. And Jesus cried out from the cross. Jesus was looking for God. I don't believe that God ever left David. So my Bible, the, the introduction up at the top where it kind of tells you what it's about. It says that it, David prays in great distress. I believe that God has given David a little bit of foresight into what's coming. 
Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? David said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God only forsook one of them. Verse number two, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, and thou inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am warned, and no man reproach of men despised of the people. And they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. What did the thief tell Jesus on the cross? He said, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. If you're the Christ, call angels down. Just just get over here and help us. Take us down. If you believe in God, if you are the Lord, if you have pulled with the Lord, whatever it may be, help us. He trusted in the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him. They laugh at me to scorn. There is several, there's been several depictions of Jesus Christ in motion pictures. A lot of them. And in every one of them you see crowds cheering whenever Jesus is walking up that hill to Calvary. You see people cheering, laughing. You see them throw the purple robe on Jesus and declaring the king of the Jews and they're laughing and spitting and scorning. David is saying the same thing. Verse number... Well, let's get down. Let's go to verse number 16. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. All of this happened at the crucifixion. All of it. And David and Jesus never met face to face. There's a period of time between them. People say today that I can predict the future. People will convince you of that if you're not very, very careful. People are really, really good at guessing what's coming next. David did it by several hundred years and nailed it word for word. Isaiah did it by several hundred years and nailed it word for word. And I know that we're trying to get into Jesus' birth and this is talking about his death, but uh, the point I'm trying to make this afternoon is the Old Testament preaches Christ. Preaches him coming. It teaches him being perfect. So many times you find the people believe different things. And if you read the study just a little bit, you'll find people that believe vastly different than yourself. There's stories that are told, books that you can read that tell that, that a soldier is the one that impregnated Mary and they tried to hide it. And things that Jesus did, these, these miracles can be explained away. Didn't the sorcerers of Pharaoh turn water into blood? Didn't they turn a stick into a snake? They made it happen. The devil has power. The, the witch brought Samuel back, allowed Saul to see Samuel, some form of Samuel. These things happen. 
These things were real. But so was the virgin birth. The Bible is not only a, the, the living word of God, but it is considered to be a history book for us. And everything ties together proves itself. Whenever I read a history book, I flip to the front page. I look for two things. I look to see who wrote it, and I look to see who published it. Whenever you look at the Bible, you don't have to go fact check it. It proves itself. Read Matthew and then read Isaiah. They were written four, five hundred, six hundred years apart. And they proved themselves. Go read Ezekiel and read Revelation. Go read Daniel and read Matthew 24, <laughs> 25, 26. They all prove themselves. The Bible proves itself. So whenever we look into Matthew, and in Matthew says, the author says, now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. He is telling his account of it. He is telling you what he saw, what he experienced, what he did, what, 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 what was revealed to him. But Isaiah said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government should be upon his shoulder and his name should be called Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Throughout Jesus' life, he was called all of those things. And I dare say that half the people traveling with him did not know who Isaiah was, let alone what he had written. Now we find that later in, in Jesus' ministry, uh, several of his, three of his disciples were introduced to Isaiah. But beforehand, I can't find where Peter was a devout Christian, where he would have known what Isaiah wrote. I can't find where Matthew was a devout Christian. He was a publican. He was a tax collector. I find where he was educated mathematically, probably even educated in how to read and write. But I find no evidence that he knew what, uh, what, what Isaiah and what David wrote. And so whenever we begin to look forward and backwards in the Bible, th there's no way that they could have conspired to make all this work. It's true accounts. Several of these written hundreds of years apart, the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, uh, historians say that they were written some 20, 30 years apart from each other uh, and in different regions of the country. I don't know that for a fact, but it makes sense. They don't have to put their stories together. They don't have to get together and think about it to make sure everything lines up because it's inspired of God. So as we read through the birth of Christ, we're going to try to start that next week. Uh, we're going to use Matthew and Luke's account. They both look at it from a little bit different perspective. Let's remember that, that it was already foretold in Isaiah. It was already foretold in, in Genesis. It was already foretold whenever God said, I will put an enmity between she and thee, between her seed and your seed, between you and the snake. He shall bruise your head, and thou shalt bruise her heel. Jesus was the one that bruises the head of the serpent. Jesus is the one that ultimately conquers Satan. Jesus was the one that was foretold in Genesis chapter 4. That was the first mention of Jesus coming. Would anyone have a question or comment this afternoon? Do you find it kind of uh, funny that the whole nation of Israel, the people, was just plumb dumb as far as God's word? The only thing they really knew for sure that they were children of Abraham. They never could quote any scripture in the Bible. They were the same way in the Old Testament. <clears throat> the only time they could quote scripture was when Christ taught them or Paul taught them the scripture. That's the only time they could quote you any scripture. Any well, Philip showed up to the eunuch and he said, understand what thou readest, he yeah. said. 
Not a clue. But we find that in the Old Testament where and that's what Ezra stood up and then was reading to the people because they, they just they, didn't, they know. just didn't know. Didn't have a clue in the world. And had they known, maybe they would have accepted Jesus a little bit. I I don't know, it was all in God's plan, but yeah. I just I just thought of uh, when I thought about it, I said, Why are these people so dumb when it comes to God? 